This is Dan Wilson Uncancelled. Let's go. And this is where Britain's top commentators speak out on controversial issues without the fear of the cancel culture sweeping the rest of the media. Now, as the first day of Platinum Jubilee celebrations draws to a close, wasn't it incredible to see the great British public flock to Buckingham Palace in their thousands draped in our glorious Union Jacks to celebrate Her Majesty's 70 years of service? You'd be forgiven for forgetting that last week the intolerant far left tried to ruin the party by slamming this display on Regent Street in London. There were several despicable tweets, including this one from India Willoughby, who wrote, when the Queen dies, wouldn't be surprised if Boris appoints himself Fuhrer and assumes total control. That's how close, I think, Britain is to Nazi Germany. And as I mentioned earlier in my digest, our exclusive poll of the country conducted by one poll this week shows a concerning lack of patriotism amongst our young. In one particularly disturbing result, 40% of 18 to 24-year-olds, that's the equivalent of two out of five respondents, said it was appropriate to liken Jubilee celebrations to Nazi Germany. That number goes down to 18% when all age groups are included. Now, I hold out hope that Generation Woke will eventually come to their senses and feel pride in the Union Jack flag. But why is it that our young people are so unpatriotic? Well, to discuss this now, I'm joined by the rapper, author and podcaster, Zuby, the host of the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. And Zuby, you've got a theory on this, don't you? I have theories on a lot of things, Dan. Um, first of that all, I think <laughs> the, the notion that anyone is comparing the Jubilee celebrations to Nazi Germany is... It's ridiculous. It's obscene. Um, I don't often use the term offensive, but it is genuinely offensive. If you think of what Nazi Germany stood for and the atrocities that they committed and the genocide with the Holocaust, it's it's grotesque to make such a comparison to compare Boris Johnson to to Hitler. I mean, it's it's diluted. Um, And as I said, it's offensive. But um, in terms of the absence of patriotism, I I think some of that stems from the world of academia and some wider socio-cultural factors. I think that especially over the last decade or two, there's really been a push to highlight the negative aspects of the UK. Um, You've seen the exact same thing take place in the USA where people feel this sort of shame, especially about the flag in the US. If someone puts up an American flag, people uh, jump to the conclusion that they're a conservative Republican and perhaps even that they're racist or xenophobic or something like that. And there's this similar sort of flag shame. In fact, there's more of this sort of flag shame when it comes to your own flag um, in the UK. If someone puts up an England flag or a Union Jack, people assume that they're some type of racist or football hooligan or something like that. So I think it's a a shame that so many young people have that connotation in their head, but I think it's something that's really emerged over the last couple decades somewhat intentionally by those narratives being pushed without the flip side of the positive aspects of Britain. We all know that there are historical sins that have happened under the British Empire, and I don't think anybody wants to deny that, but to associate the flag with just all of the negative and nothing positive to me is a very pessimistic way to look at it. So how do we counter it, Zuby? 
That's a good question. As I said, I think it's a matter of balance and perspective. I think it's very important for young people to know and to understand and understand history and to be able to look at their own country and own society with somewhat of a critical lens. But that can also go too far. If you focus solely on the negative and all you associate the UK with or Great Britain with is uh, uh, imperialism or the slave trade or bad things that have happened throughout history, and you don't want to look at anything recent, you don't want to look at the progress that's been made, you don't want to look at the positive, then I can understand and empathize with why someone may draw that kind of negative connotation with a symbol such as the flag. So I think as we are discussing history and teaching history and talking about all these aspects, we also need to instill perspective and gratitude. Um, I think it's also fair to say that if you look at history in general, most countries in the world, certainly any large or influential country in the world, has very dark aspects of its history. But when you are looking at a flag, it's typically not the thing that it doesn't mean that you're supporting everything bad that's ever happened or anything bad that the government may even potentially be be doing. And I think that there are, you know, I, I believe that the UK is a great country. Uh, it's I've, I've traveled a lot around the world and British people generally are good, decent, kind, law abiding and polite people. Yes, of course, there are there are bad people out there of every nationality and so on. But I, I generally think that a dose of optimism is needed. I don't think it should be the the negative and the negative and the negative all the time. I think it's important to balance that out, not so that people have this sort of delusional patriotism and think that their country uh, has never done anything wrong and that, you know, this the sort of like, I don't know, there, there's, there's, there can be excesses of patriotism for sure, but there can also be excesses in the other direction where people actually feel some contempt or hatred of their own country or their own citizens. And I don't think that's very healthy. Very well put, Zuby. Happy Platinum Jubilee to you. And we'll speak again next week. Wasn't it brilliant? But the other royal exiles, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, were in attendance, believe it or not. But they weren't seen as they watched on from a room at the Major General's office at the other end of the mall. Interestingly, despite it being their big return after turning their backs on the film, the BBC chose not to show a single shot of them. So joining me now with the inside track is royal biographer Tom Bower, who penned a bestseller on Prince Charles is currently working on a bombshell new book about Meghan. So what did you make of this today, Tom? Do you think it was a purposeful decision by the BBC to show no images of Harry and Meghan? Because that felt very odd to me, because they were there, they were watching. We can see in the photos they were watching. Well, I think clearly they took an editorial decision. They weren't going to let the Sussexes overshadow the Queen's big day. I mean, they just... For their good reasons, but fortunately, 
we can tune into your programme and discover the truth. Well, yeah, although maybe, is this one of these rare occasions, Tom, where we should actually praise the BBC for something? Because actually we didn't really want to see them today, did well, we? Well, I, I, do, I did, I did, because I thought it was extraordinary how she thrust herself at the window with her oversized hat and the big <laughs> smile and lowered the window of the car so she could be seen. And here is this woman who hasn't apologised for all the lies she told mm. on Oprah Winfrey and all the terrible, terrible... Uh, trouble she's caused the royal family, not least because of the racist allegations. And she just comes over here to promote herself. The one good thing, I do think, it's a terrible shame that the Queen can't go to St Paul's, but it does mean that Netflix can't get the pan from Meghan (laughs) to the Queen. That's cut out now. Well, indeed, because can we just be honest about why this couple have come over here? They've had a stark realisation over the past few months, haven't they, that... These big American companies are only interested in them because of their proximity to the royal family. Absolutely, and that's what's so interesting. That The moment Harry discovered that his bid to appear on the balcony had been vetoed by the unbelievably wise mm. advisers to the Queen, they suddenly got some sense into them, 18 minutes later he said he was coming. And I think Harry today would have felt very, very bad. He should have been on parade. He should have been in uniform. That's what his whole life was about. And Meghan has, in that sense, undermined him completely and set him on the track against his own family. And it'll be very interesting to see tomorrow and on Sunday whether they actually can recover and get into the limelight, which is what they badly need for their own financials and status as royal people in in America. But as you say, the bad news for the Sussexes is that the Queen won't be in attendance tomorrow... Presumably they will be seen by the TV cameras walking into St Paul's Cathedral. So their big moment to be at least close to the Queen and in public, that's now been scuppered. Although I imagine they will be happy that Andrew won't be there because it's not a particularly good look for the Sussexes, is it, to no. be pictured alongside No, but I mean, we don't know which entrance they're going to go into or through. And we don't know whether they'll be seated yet. And we don't know whether they'll be in the eye line of Kate and William. I mean, all these things have yet, not yet been disclosed. And if the palace, as I say, discovers unexpected wisdom, they'll make sure they're pushed to the side because I don't think any, there's much love for them here. I mean, uh, um, Meghan's approval ratings, I think, are 8% now. Mm. It's extraordinary, isn't it, when you think their last public appearance uh, with the royal family was two years ago, that Commonwealth service. And actually, back then, the royal family bent over backwards to make them feel better and protect their egos. Remember, they didn't actually allow Prince William and Kate to enter because they didn't want to offend Harry and Meghan. I actually think it's much better that the courtiers, hopefully backed by Charles and William, have said enough of pandering to the Sussexes. Well, I think they were pretty shocked with the way that Harry behaved after he called on the Queen on his way to Holland. And in the interview with NBC effectively said that he didn't miss Charles and William and said that he was worried that the Queen wasn't properly protected. I think they were probably were pretty shocked by that. And that was the moment that, you know, that the mist fell. They realised that these couple were just intent on profiting from being royals but quite determined to damage them. What I think is really very interesting is whether Harry is going to do his worst, to poison pen in his autobiography. I mean, that means a lot both for his income and for the reputation of the royal family. And we'll just see whether bringing them over here, giving them a hug, letting them even appear 
is going to diffuse their anger or whether it's just going to incite them to do more. Because I don't think um, Meghan has loyalty for anyone other than herself. I thought it was just mm. extraordinary that when her father fell, as you mm. exposed, with that stroke, she goes to Texas and p- puts flowers on the shrine of people she doesn't know and doesn't go down to Southern California to see her father. That just shows how self-interested she is. I mean, I couldn't believe it. Of course, Thomas was meant to be here with us tonight. He was going to be a special correspondent at the Diamond Jubilee. And I just found it so crass that she would go to Texas for what looked like a PR stunt, surrounded by cameras. And it was literally, because I actually put it into my Google Maps just to check, she could have got to her dad in hospital in three and a half yeah, hours. Yeah, yeah. There were no cameras at the yeah. hospital, Tom. Yeah. I know that. I, I was speaking yeah, to the yeah, family. Yeah. So, so she could have got there and seen her dad before she came but to the come UK. But come on, the other point is, though, surely, Dan, the sight of um, her father outside Windsor Castle with your cameras there and Megan inside would have been pretty explosive. You weren't going to bring him over here just for sentimental reasons. I mean, that was going to make a real big impression. And, of course, that the royal family was saved a huge headache by that, unfortunately. But to defend thing. Thomas on that front, he has been open to meeting with Meghan, as you know, for the past three years. So he wasn't coming here to cause the Queen trouble. He actually wanted to pay his respects he to did. the Queen, and it was important for him to see Windsor Castle, something he'd, he'd never got the opportunity sure. to visit. But, of course, he does want to meet Harry and Meghan, and he thought, if I'm in the same city, uh, who knows? Well, I think it was unlikely, but who knows? Look, Tom, I just want to show you a beautiful live shot that we've got at the moment from Castle Kili Lay in Northern Ireland, because this is one of the more than 3,000 beacons that have been lit around the world for the Jubilee tonight. And it was great, wasn't it, Tom, to, to, to see the Queen able to come out at Windsor Castle today. It was a fabulous sight. And what was really exciting, I thought, were the crowds on the Mall. I thought that, you know, it was really Britain at its best. It was Britain united. It was Britain in love with the sovereign. Great tradition, a thousand-year-old monarchy. Great, uh, a great feeling that Britain does have a bond. And it is through the monarch. Mm. And I think that was wonderful today. And she looked terrific. And and do you know what? I just want to finally talk about uh, that balcony moment today because it was really significant. And I think some of the significance of it has maybe been lost because what we actually saw today was the slimmed-down monarchy that Prince Charles intends to go with. There, not only was there no Prince Andrew there, there was no Eugenie, there was no Beatrice, but there was a real focus on the children of Prince William. Absolutely. And what is remarkable, what I think people are only beginning now to realise, is that we're going through the transition. I think when I wrote my book on Charles, which was very critical of him about two or three years ago, the real fear was the Queen would drop dead and Charles is very unpopular. Now, with this gradual handover, the shock is becoming minimised. And I thought he behaved very well on the balcony. He did very well in the parades. Camilla looked good. Kate and William lost sensational, the children. I think that today people will feel more royal than ever before. Yeah. That's what it's all about. And to be honest, I didn't look at that balcony scene and think, oh, I wish Harry and Meghan were there. I, I, I think we've moved on, actually. Well, if they had been there, there would have been no cheers. I mean, that was, thankfully... Well, there may have been kept, booze, exactly. actually. And thankfully, the, they kept Charles and William made sure they weren't there. And that, of course, must have irritated them enormously. 
Uh, Royal biographer Tom Bell, great to have you. But by the way, is there a, is there a name for the Megan book? There is, but I'm not telling it to you. Oh, I cannot <laughs> wait. So you'll have to come back when it's out because Thanks very much. I've read your books before, Tom. There are always a few explosive revelations. You won't be disappointed this time. <laughs> Excellent, Tom Bell. We'll do come back then. Tom Bauer is on the way with more coverage of the Platinum Jubilee. But now it's time for Big Witty Style. And not content with tearing down statues and rewriting history, the cancel culture crescents are now targeting one of the nation's and my favourite children's book. The Very Hungry Caterpillar, I'm sure you remember it, there it is, has been branded detrimental and not inclusive by a senior childhood researcher who says it, quote, perpetuates outdated stereotypes. So this is Dr Alan Adams from Edith Cowan University School of Education. She said it was among a number of classic books featuring a, quote, lack of representation of boys and girls in non-traditional gender roles. That's a whole load of words, Alan. Our very hungry caterpillar would happily devour Anne Whittakem. I mean, come on. I thought I'd heard it all. But they're trying to cancel the hungry caterpillar. Uh, well, Why? I can't believe this is going to get any traction. This, this, this is a single lunatic, I think, um, talking in these terms. I mean, you talk about you know, non-gender stereotypes. I mean, for goodness sake, it's a caterpillar. <laughs> you know, it's a caterpillar and it eats things and then it becomes a butterfly. You know, do we really have to sort of try and socially manipulate it so that it gets over the messages uh, that this particular uh, researcher thinks should be God? over. This was written in 1969. I mean, 1969. It's a bit like saying that Rupert Bear's parents should be, you know, differently dressed and more up to date and that Mrs Bear should go out to work. I mean, it is just a nonsense. And what is more, it's denying children the knowledge of how things were. That that is, is what really bothers me about all of this. We evolve as human beings, as a race. And cultures. We evolve as human beings. Um, And that means that we have a background and a history. Uh, And children won't understand that things change and that things were different in their parents' time and their grandparents' time if everything has to be given a modern, politically correct slant. They won't understand it. No. And look, you say this is one lunatic, and uh, I definitely agree that she is a lunatic. But unfortunately, Anne, these people are gaining a huge amount of traction, especially in education circles. I mean, look at the attempts and the very serious attempts to cancel Enid Blyton books as well. Jackie Wilson, I think it is, is actually rewriting uh, some of Enid Blyton's work. Um, I dearly wish that there was a way of preventing that happening. Um, And yes, I mean, in Enid Blyton, there are characters that we wouldn't put into children's fiction today. But again, it's understanding the past. Uh, And I don't think you can do that unless the past is around you. No, you you absolutely can't. I guess the other question is too, Anne, does, and this is a genuine question that I'm putting to you, but does every piece of children's literature today have to include kids in non-conformist gender roles. I mean, to me, I don't really understand that, I, even about new books. I can't see see the point of that at all. Um, it's like when I was writing my novels, you know, every single, not every single, that's not quite true, but so many commentators said, oh, but, you know, there's no explicit sex. And I said, no, there isn't. Why should there be? 
Uh, you know, where is it in Jane Austen? Where is it in Charles Dickens? Why, just because it's being written now, mm. uh, does it have to take on a, a, a different hue? So I, I just feel very strongly that, that writing is creative. Yes. And The Hungry Caterpillar is a brilliantly creative... I mean, are we soon going to find that the tiger who came to tea uh, has to be abolished because, um, you know, Daddy came in from work and Mummy was there getting the tea. Well, and yes. Where does it stop? Yes, I mean, that is what they will say. And I think... Uh, when it comes to new literature as well, it's it's a completely correct point to say this is about creativity. And I am very clear that diversity cannot be prescribed. It, if it comes naturally to a writer or a TV producer, fine. But actually, what these writers are now feeling is that unless... I include, you know, a, a lesbian set of parents yep. and a mixed-race couple and a trans teenager. Unless I include all of those things, I'm not going to be commissioned. And I think that's a real concern. And publishing companies need to fight yep. back against it. But the problem is these publishing companies are increasingly being overrun by 20-something wokesters in London. Well, we had exactly that problem with J.K. Rowling, of course, when, you know, unbelievably, considering the huge commercial success and her work was paying uh, for their jobs, uh, unbelievably, they wanted to cancel her because she had made comments that they misinterpreted, I still believe, um, and accused her of transphobia. Uh, and it's quite true that there is now, there is almost a totalitarian attitude in the arts towards what you can write what you can paint, yeah. uh, it's all uh, the music that you play. Um, oddly enough, it doesn't appear to apply to rap, which can have extremely violent lyrics. <laughs> yes. And nobody bats an eyelid. <laughs> yeah, very true, very true. And uh, finally, you're obviously in your red, white and blue regalia Absolutely. today. It has been... God bless Her Majesty. Yeah, yeah, it's been quite a spectacular 24 hours. You would have heard uh, the breaking news, I imagine, over the past couple of hours that the Queen will not be attending this Thanksgiving service at St Paul's Cathedral tomorrow. Are you worried about that or do you just think it's a sense that will move to preserve her over these four days? I mean, she's done three public appearances already today. She is 96, Dan. You know, she is 96. Uh, and I think we tend to forget that. We see the role, we see the monarch but the person is 96. And those of us who've had parents, grandparents who've lived to that sort of age know that, you know, you're not going to be as physically resilient um, as you used to be. I mean, bless us all, she still does government boxes. She still does yeah. red boxes. I was glad to give them up at 50. She's doing <laughs> them at 96. It makes you proud to be British today, though, doesn't it? It does. I'm very proud to be British and very proud to have a monarchy. Indeed. Anne Whitcomb. Thank you, Thank you so much. Great to have you in the studio this Platinum Jubilee Thursday. Dan Button here again. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of my podcast, Uncancelled. Did you like what you hear? Well, remember to subscribe, rate and review and join me for more newsmaking interviews, fiery debate and free speech on Dan Button tonight every Monday to Thursday from 9pm till 11pm on GB News. <laughs>